Are you concerned about your health this evening? How many of you are? Only the wise are. Your emotional health, your physical health, uh, psychologically, how are you doing? Well, this evening in 3 John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation, uh, I've never preached from the little book of 3 John in 30 years of preaching, and I don't know how many sermons you've heard of it. We're going to try to do a 15-week series from 3 John, just joking. Uh, we're going to, next few Sunday nights, out of 3 John, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. The easy thing about 3 John is there's not a chapter 2, there is just 3 John. And we're going to talk about our soul health this evening. Let me give you a little background. 3 John uh, was written, we believe, let's look in verse 1 and 2. We'll read that and then we'll, we'll kind of look at a little bit of background information uh, because this gives us a little bit. The elder who is writing this to my dear friend Gaius, who, uh, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. The elder, we believe here, Elder meaning pastor, bishop, overseer, one person. That, that's what um, Baptists historically have believed about the position of elder, that it's the, the minister, leader in the church, servant leader. And uh, we believe this is John, John the Apostle. God uh, wrote the Gospel of John, first, second, third John, uh, and Revelation through him. This is John of the Peter, James, and John fame. And he was the... Uh, one disciple who lived the very longest. And we believe this was written towards the end of the first century, around 85 to 90 uh, A.D. So, you know, a, a long time after Christ's life. But who it comes from, I think, is, is very important. We believe John was in Ephesus. Now, a little map. We looked at this two weeks ago. Uh, a map of, uh, well, there's Ephesus right there. And that he is writing to Pergamum. We believe that is probably... Uh, what is going on here? And you know, we talked two weeks ago in first, Second John. It talks about to the chosen lady, and we believe that that's probably he was talking about that was a church, as as who he was talking to. So this is written uh, to this guy named Gaius. Now, Gaius was a common Roman name, and there's three mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of scholars believe this guy is the the elder or the pastor at the church of Pergamum. And that John, uh, it may have even led him to the Lord, but discipled him and kind of set him in place as the pastor there. And he is, uh, he is writing to him and his church there and this community. And so what I want us to look at this evening from these first eight verses is how do we have a healthy soul? How do we have a healthy soul? In verse 2 Again, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health, that your physical health be good. And, you know, you, you go back into the first century when you didn't have near, near uh, the drugs that we have. You didn't have antibiotics. You didn't have good anesthesia. You know, an anesthesia may have been a stiff drink of wine and a hammer to the head to knock you out as they were pulling the spear from your stomach. So good health was something I bet you prayed really hard for. Uh, even more so 2,000 years ago than we do today. And he says, I'm praying you'll have good health and that all may go well with you. Listen, even as your soul is getting along well. I pray that your, 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 your physical health is good and I'm so proud that your soul is strong. What is, what is your soul? 
Your soul, by definition, is the life element. It's the immaterial part of us. It's the part of us that is eternal. We are a unity as a human being. We are body, soul, and spirit. Some scholars split soul and spirit with a real fine knife. A lot of other ones don't. They believe that they are synonymous. The soul is the essence of your personhood. You think of your body as the external and the soul as the internal. Really, when we talk about the soul or the spirit, what we're talking about tonight, we're talking about this. How are you doing spiritually? How are you doing with you and God? How is, how is your spiritual life? Physically, maybe you're great. Maybe you're not so good. But more importantly, even than, than your physical health, as important as that is, how are you doing spiritually? Now, what we're going to do this evening, looking at this text, we're going to kind of take a few, uh, a, a few tests to see how we're doing. You know, physically, when you go to the doctor, some of the first things they do is they take your, your temperature, your blood pressure, and they weigh you. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at some basic ways that you can gauge this evening your spiritual health, the health of your soul. But these are also ways that you nourish your soul and you keep your soul strong. In fact, without doing these things, it's impossible for your soul to flourish and be what it should be. Physically, if you're going to be healthy, you have to pay attention to your diet, as unfun as that is. You have to exercise. You have to get rest. You have to do certain things to be healthy physically, and you have to do certain things to be healthy spiritually. When Teddy Allen was a young struggling student at Louisiana Tech, the, the wonderful Miss Patsy Lewis called Teddy into his, her office one day. Luke, you may or may not know this story. And she asked Teddy if he felt like he was going to graduate from Tech and get his education by osmosis. <laughs> Teddy said, spell it, please. But that was, uh, Teddy learned that he couldn't get it by osmosis. You can't grow spiritually by osmosis. If you don't know what that is, I don't really either, but it's a big word and it sounds good in a sermon, right? So you, you, don't, you don't get a college degree by accident. You don't grow spiritually by accident is what this is. Now, this is an interesting little fact. Several years ago, a health magazine surveyed thousands of people, and they asked them about your physical health. They didn't ask anything but the one question, how's your physical health? Almost 70% of Americans said they are in great or really good health. You know, the Greek word for that is baloney. <laughs> Most Americans are obese. We don't sleep enough. We overeat. We, we chew. We smoke. We do things that, that hurt us. And we have a tendency to overestimate ourselves in a lot of areas. You probably are spiritually to some extent. So let's look at these objective tests and let's see how we're doing spiritually. Remember, these are not only indicators, but these are ways that we build up our soul. Okay, number one, you must be grounded in and living in the truth. Grounded, I left that out, that's not on the screen, but it should be grounded and living in the truth. Verse 3 and 4. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. A few weeks ago in 2 John, we spent a lot of time on truth. Truth simply here means, what, what it means is the unveiled reality. It's the manifest reality. It's, it, it's what is real touchable maybe figuratively touchable but what you can see what you can get your hands on it's not mysterious it's not hidden 
Here it's talking about God and the reality of his word. The truth is God and the reality of who he is and what he says. And he says, I'm so proud you're walking in the truth. If you're taking notes, this means not only to live, walk is a way of life, but it's to be occupied with something. That's very important to be occupied with something. Listen to how William Barclay, the New Testament scholar, defines this about being walking in the truth. He says, to walk in the truth is to be clothed with the truth. To be covered with truth in such a way that it causes you to think and to act like God. Is that not awesome? To walk in the truth is to be covered in the truth in such a way that it causes you to think and to act like God. Ephesians 5.1, if you're taking notes, be imitators of the pastor. (laughs) Be imitators of... God as dearly loved children. When we walk in the truth, our life is built on Jesus Christ. It's built on a steady diet of His Word. Don't raise your hand. Don't speak out loud. How much of your Bible did you read last week? Not for a sermon, not for a lesson, not for a prep. How much of your Bible did you sit down and read and say, God, I need this just for me? It is impossible to walk in truth without taking in the Word. How much of the Bible are you memorizing? Are you studying? Are you meditating on? How much time last week did you spend in real prayer? It's impossible to walk in the truth, to be clothed in Jesus Christ, to think like God, and to live like God if your life is not a prayer-centered life. You're in church tonight, so I'm preaching to the choir. Amen for you. You need to be in church. I need to be in church. This is the way we continue to clothe ourselves with the truth. How's your soul health? First thing, are you walking in the truth? Are you clothed in Christ? Are you living like, thinking like God? How do you continue or get soul health? You walk in the truth, number one. Here's number two. Faithfulness is a huge key. Faithfulness is a huge key. It's an indicator of your soul health tonight, how faithful you are to Christ. Faithfulness is going to be a huge key of how you grow in Jesus Christ. In verse 3 through 5, listen to the intensity here. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth, how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear Friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. Again, remember, walk is to be occupied with something. Faithful in your Bibles means steadfast or certain or true. And he says about this man, Gaius, he says, Man, I am so proud of you because you continue to be occupied with God. You continue to be faithful and steadfast and true. As I mentioned earlier, stout Christians don't happen by accident. You you don't become strong in Christ by accident. You have to get in your Bibles. You have to come to church even with a purpose. You, You have to be people of prayer, and you have to be steady in doing these things. I remember hearing someone say years ago, it's not how high you jump, but how straight you walk that determines your soul health. What they were saying, they were saying it's not wrong to be emotional, 
But emotionalism is not going to grow your soul like a steady walk. And that's the absolute truth. If you're going to be stout in Jesus Christ, get excited about Jesus. But you've got to stay faithful in that walk. I remember one time I had, when I was in college, I went with a, a person to visit their, their home church. And it was a small church. And, and that Sunday evening, a man got up, probably in his 50s. And, uh, you know, when you're 20, 50, and, and 200 are the same, right? And by the way, I'm 51, so I'm not trying to offend. But, you know, so to me, it was blurry. You know, they said he was over 50, so he could have been 700. I mean, he may have been on the ark. I don't know. But he got up, and, and I remember he talked, and he cried, and he shared about Jesus. And it was moving. It was moving. And he sat back down, and I looked at the person I was with, and they were like, popping bubble with their bubble gum. I said, what is wrong with you? I mean, that was awesome. And, this, and, and my friend looked at me and said, this happens about twice a year. This person will come. They will testify. They'll get the mic during the invitation. We're pretty scared about that, by the way, here, if you've ever noticed. And then you won't see them at church for six months. And then they'll come back. They'll have a hard time at work or have a problem. Then they'll be all emotional. And, and you know, it just rang in my head that's, that's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. W- one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was steadiness. Was steadiness. I saw my parents for, for years and years and years, all my life, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know what they did? They went to church. And, and, and I wish my parents would have been more emotional. I mean, because my parents were, were not emotional at all. I mean, you were told, I love you at Christmas and on your birthday, and it was about like this. Yeah, we love you, son. You're, you're doing well. But they were so steady. They were so steady. They were so faithful. We knew exactly what to expect, expect with them and God. They walked the walk. How is your soul held? Faithfulness is a great indicator this evening. Faithfulness is obviously an indicator even if you're saved. But faithfulness is going to be a key how you grow up in Jesus Christ. You you, you know, physically, the truth is a lot of people go to gyms and fitness centers and they work out hard for three or four weeks, correct? And they quit. I mean, if you were to talk to Trey who manages a gym or other people, the gyms, uh, and, and I'm not saying this about Trey's gym, but a lot of the, especially the big uh, nationwide gyms, they are, they are banking on people joining and not showing up because they don't have enough space if everybody shows up. But people go and you work out and you look just as fat and flabby three weeks later, so you do what? You quit. You stop going. You're not going to become Arnold Schwarzenegger or Mr. America. You don't want to be Arnold, by the way. You're not going to become Slim Jim in three weeks. Spiritually, it's the same principle. It's faithfulness. It's just keep on keeping on with Jesus Christ. That's an indicator of how healthy your soul is and how healthy it will be. Here's the third thing this evening that we see in this passage. And that's an outward focus. Healthy souls, healthy Christians, healthy churches have an outward focus. Verse 5 through 8, dear friends, you, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love 
You, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that they may work together for the truth. One of the things that was happening is you had a lot in this day traveling evangelists, traveling missionaries. You didn't have a cooperative program. You didn't have some of the wonderful things that we have today. Paul obviously was one of these kind of traveling ministers. Last Sunday night, we looked in 2 John where he said, don't you support the traveling ministers who are heretics, who are false teachers. Don't support them. Now he comes back and he tells us this, that that we should show hospitality in, in the first part of this is to those traveling ministers. Remember the ends back in Paul and Jesus' day. It, it may have been a break that Mary and Joseph didn't get a room in the end and they got to stay in the barn. It may have been cleaner, nicer, and safer because a lot of the, the ends were notorious for prostitution, for, for, uh, for that they were hoodlums there a lot of crime, and they were nasty. And so if you could, you wanted to stay with somebody, strange as it may sound, even in the home of someone you did not know. Greek people placed a great value on hospitality. Zeus, every one of you here have heard of the Greek god, little G-O-D god, Zeus, he was the god of the stranger. The Jewish people greatly valued hospitality, and this rightly carried over into Christianity. And he's telling these people, I want you, and one sign of soul health is I want you to be hospitable. Now, again, this is going to be broader in just a second, but he was really talking to them too, how they were treating these traveling evangelists. In verse 6, it's pretty neat. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of the name of God. Verse 7, I'm sorry. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. Hebrews used a, a, a Hebrew phrase, Hashem, which meant the name. And, and that was talking about the name of God. And so in verse 7, it's pretty awesome here. He says, send them out in a way worthy of the name. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. What is he telling us here? Should we take care of traveling ministers? Obviously, we should. We don't have that as much anymore. It's more of a church function than it is an individual function. But I think he's telling us two things. First, we'll look at this. An outward focus means you care about other people. And that your, your, your mouth and your hand match up. It is so easy to say we care about other people and do nothing. Amen? Because religious people are supposed to say that. In their day, you invited someone to come stay at your house. I don't know about you, that'd be a little creepy to me if I went to Dallas tonight and some complete stranger offered me a room. I'd rather stay at the Hotel Six or the downtown Hilton or whatever. Today, that kind of hospitality might mean giving someone a room for a night or two at a hotel. It might mean giving them gas money. It might mean giving them food money. But God says healthy Healthy souls are people who are hospitable and generous to other people. How in the world could we say we're, not, we're right with Christ and not be hospitable to other human beings? And that certainly applies for a church, that we should be that way. But I think it's even bigger in this picture here that, that we're not only outward focused in helping people that have needs, but we're outwardly focused in pushing the gospel all over the world. 
You see, by them helping these traveling ministers and missionaries, they were helping spread the gospel. Let's look at it as a church, first of all. As a church, and I don't believe this church has this problem at all, but it's easy for a church to get focused on, on just on itself and forget the rest of the world. Some churches even get, not many, but some can get good at, at evangelizing their community and forget the rest of the world. Now, you don't, forget, you don't focus on the rest of the world and forget your community, but a church has got to be focused inward, upward, and outward all the time. One of the ways we do this as a church is we give two or $300,000 to the cooperative program and to other mission causes outside of our church because we believe what this teaches here, that if our soul is healthy as a church, we want to see Ruston and the world know about the name of Jesus Christ. But that's also individually. Sometimes it's easy to hide behind my church. Well, the church will give money or the church will feed people at a certain time or the church will have a revival. Listen, when my soul is healthy, I am constantly trying to help other people come to Jesus Christ. Did you get that? See, some of us are hiding behind. That's not my gift. That's not my thing. I disciple people. Or, or I, I work with youth, or I work with college. And Wayne's not this way, but some people hide behind, well, I worship. Friend, you do it all. You do it all. It's not one or the other. What I mentioned earlier, every Christian ought to have a three-way focus, an upward to God, an inward, not only inward as far as taking care of themselves spiritually, but on their group, folks, as a church, we've got to constantly be trying to build the body up in here. But we've got to constantly be trying to reach those outward. You see, what you saw here in some real healthy souls is there was an upward, an inward, and an outward focus. It's impossible for your soul to be growing rightly if you don't have an others focused. Let me give you the last thing this evening. When your soul is healthy... It's visible to others. It's visible to other people. Verse 3. It gave me great joy to have some of the brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. Wow, isn't this interesting? Gaius didn't send a letter to, to John telling him how great he was. He didn't, he didn't send a report to let people know how wonderful he was. His life just shined in a way that people knew that he had a powerful, growing soul. You know, the truth is, physically, when you're unhealthy, is there a problem? Everybody's looking around. I didn't know if. The roof's going to fall in. I want to know because as the pastor, I need to get out first. <laughs> so, I mean, so I can be there for you when you're in the hospital, smushed and all. Okay. Well, I'll be finished in five minutes before the fire starts, so. Okay. <laughs> and if you don't turn to Jesus, you will be smoking someday. That is the... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist that. Okay. 
If you are healthy physically, it's visible, isn't it? I mean, to some extent, it's going to be eventually that you're, you're, you've got physical problems. It will, be, it will be clear that you're not healthy. If you are healthy uh, over time, it is, it, it, it's visible. It's the same way spiritually. Again, again spiritually, you, you don't go around to- tooting your own horn about how wonderful you are, how healthy you are. But remember in Matthew 5, Jesus said, let your light do what? Let it shine. A city built on a hill is what? It's visible. It can be seen. And when your soul is healthy, listen, other people are going to know that. When your soul is healthy, it's visible to other people. And this is hugely important because how in the world can you make an impact on other people if your spirituality is is covered? Most of the time it's covered by our junk. So I want to challenge you this evening. I want to challenge you to have a healthy soul. And you can have a healthy soul if you'll, if you'll be clothed in the truth and, and think and live like God, if you'll be faithful, if you'll have an outward focus with your money, your billfold, with your life, with our church. And you do it such a way that other people can see that you belong to Jesus. This evening when we give the invitation, if your soul does not know Christ, I want to encourage you to come this evening and give your life to him. If you'd like to join the church or if you're here tonight as a Christian and the truth is you're grading out about a D or an F in your soul health, come tonight, repent of those things and get back on track with Jesus. Let's stand And as God leads you, you come.